Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to today's episode. This is episode 204. Episode 204. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, friend and co-host Ryan Ray with me today. Ryan, uh, interesting, interesting topics we're going to be covering here in just a bit, man. I, uh, Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to jump into it. How are things going on your end today? I know we got some cool weather, thankfully, in Texas. It's pushing along pretty good, man. I can't believe we're in May and what is it, like 60s a day? Yeah, it's feeling nice outside. And a happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Yes, I uh, hope you guys had a a good day and a restful day and that your husbands were like me and unlike Josh, which gives your wife a restful day. I don't think Josh, did you give your wife the day off yesterday? I did. I don't, don't, don't I be did. lying, listeners. Don't be lying. <laughs> hey, I kept the daughter, a little girl during the church service. You got to sit in the, in the service all day yesterday. So. <laughs> <laughs> I call that rest. You call that rest. There you go. There you go. Okay. But no, uh, so it was happy Mother's day. And yeah, it's uh interesting Interesting time as always. It feels like um, we get a little dip in the news. There was a period during the show for, um, I don't know, a few months. It felt like maybe 2017, 2018. It was like, oh, man, we're going to talk about. Well, we don't have that problem right now. So we're, that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just jumping into it, man. So uh, apparently yesterday, uh, I, I say yesterday, I'm not sure exactly the timeline, but a, a pipeline, the biggest pipeline that runs from Texas to New York was was hacked. Um, this is the, I believe it's the colonial uh, mm-hmm. pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was hacked and then they shut it down. So there's some sort of a cyber attack. And from what I'm gathering, and there's a couple of articles here, from what I'm gathering is that they're trying to hold some sort of a ransom uh, for uh, for this pipeline or for some of the data possibly. Uh, so they're, they're holding a ransom. And so they're going to require a certain amount of payment before they're going to open, they're going to allow it to be opened back up. So I'm not sure all the specifics, but, uh, yeah, shut down. So the pipeline shut down on Friday and then on Saturday, they acknowledged it was, um, it been a ransomware hacked or whatever term you, you want to use there. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, now this is, this is quite interesting, right? Now, now is colonial, the one that Buffett has an interest in, or is that a different one? I don't know. Because uh, he has an interest in, in one of those things. Uh, let's see here. So how much? How much do you ask uh, to? How much do you ask to get this back online if you're the ransom guys? Like what kind of, what kind of dollars we're talking about here? That's a that's a good question. I mean, um, I, we'll we'll consult the people that are making the ransom. Whoa! But, you know, whoa! Whoa! whoa, whoa. Hey. No, 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 we, we will not. You can, <laughs> you can consult the criminals. Okay. Okay. No, I will not be a part of this publicly. I will not be a part of this at all. Uh, contact me offline. Give me a DM. But no, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be part of this. Uh, this is a comedy podcast. So uh, let, let everyone know. Uh, good night. What are you trying to do? Get us arrested? We're, we're live streaming to the world right now. Okay. <laughs> Hey, look, our listeners know that uh, anything that we do that's, you know, below the belt is (laughs) always done in secret and never out in the open for everybody to see. (laughs) So, uh, no, I was going to be a a convicted or a a wanted felon on this podcast today. I wouldn't have have showed up. (laughs) 
Wow. Wow. Oh, yes. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. I did not know. I did not know he was going there, man. You. <laughs> well, neither did I. Neither did I. So, uh, so right now they're saying that gas prices are going to. Uh, going to start bumping up. So have we seen a tick yet this Monday morning on gas or just projected gas prices for the week? Yeah. So it's um, when you look at it, it's I think tomorrow. So this is going to be for diesel, petrol and jet fuel, I believe are um, so that carries 2.5 million barrels a day, 45% of the East coast supply of diesel, petrol and jet fuel. Um, so I haven't looked at those prices from what I understand tomorrow's kind of the big day, right? So this is a course to, uh, this is a, Unless they sort it out by Tuesday, they're in big trouble. The first areas to be hit would be Atlanta and Tennessee. The domino effect goes up to New York. And, you know, you got things like this, you know, down here in Texas, where it's coming from, going to the Northeast, you could have the ability to, uh, you know, truck it a lot quicker than you can get it up to New York, right? That's what's at the pipeline. And so, um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, it's weird. And, I, you know, we've, we haven't talked about kind of vandalism on pipelines and stuff. We, that was kind of a running theme there for a while where activists were, um, you know, trying to break in or chain themselves or whatever they're doing back then. This has kind of been that threat that's been looming out there, which is what's going to happen when these guys get hacked. Um, and I think it's concerning, right? I mean, so I'm not, a, we need to get an IT guy. I don't know. I think we got something going on next week, but maybe the week after we get an IT uh, cybersecurity person on to talk about this. But um, what do you do? And I'm, I'm saying this from a spot of ignorance. Because if the FBI can't track down the people, right, what do you do? Do you pay the ransom? Well, if you pay the ransom, well, now what? You know, they're going to come back at you again. If you don't pay the ransom, though, like, I I don't know. I'm genuinely curious um, just how long it takes to track down someone like this um, and and to get them and, you know, what kind of uh, pinch Colonial's in. Yeah, it's always one of the things I I wonder, you know, if you pay the ransom, you know, is it like the movies where they get the money, kill the kid, and then go off in the sunset, you know? Um, well, yeah, that's the other thing, right, is that they – who's who's to say that they're actually going to do like – Right, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah no, that's what I'm saying. That's good what point. leverage do you have? Huh. You know? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't, yeah, it's a difficult situation. I'd hate to be in, in this situation with some of this. And I wonder um, – I wonder what sort of data leaks that that are maybe associated with with that hack. Um, that's yeah. I mean, I think this is a story that's going to hopefully will be resolved quickly, but will have lingering um, lingering implications for some time. And so it says the um, the gang tried to take almost a hundred gigabytes of data hostage, threatening to leak it to the internet. Um, and so, but th- th- so this is again, this is all um, tech stuff. So it feels like there's some data they've get, they've gotten, some they haven't. Uh, but the pipeline's offline, and so um, I don't know. I don't know. It's it, 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 and you know the other thing is, and again, this would be a great question. We gotta get an IT guy on maybe in the next couple weeks. Is so just something to think about. How do you know? It's like you remember Y2K, right? That was the big deal. How do we know? Um, how do we know? You know that Y two K is going to work, and so people were trying to put the computer forward and all this stuff, and obviously it's, it's no big deal. But a similar question would be here, right? Is how do you know when you go to hit the restart button 
that there's not some embedded virus. And and I don't think you could run your super super anti spyware on this thing and and figure it out. You got to have a little bit more. Yeah, I yeah I, I don't understand enough about any of this to really know how they can best protect it. I mean, I know that this is becoming a major issue. So like, uh, I'm opening up a business here um, in Texas, and Google sent me a thing that said that. Uh, some of my stuff on my account was messing up and it was because they identified my account as being at high risk being that I am a business that I needed to get these things called Titan keys in order for the system to work correctly. So apparently Google is, uh, is aware of a growing threat this, this coming. So the, they're trying to make it where you have like two sets of physical keys along with passwords and phone setups and, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm guessing that there's going to have to be some layered security measures, which I'm sure there's some, but I'm right. not sure. That's the thing. That's the other thing is, is that when we eventually get to the point that this is resolved, will it be that Colonial had high-level security in place and they still hacked it, or would it be that Colonial was behind the times and that's why they got hacked? So a couple of comments here, and our guest is here. Um, from Manu, Colonial is getting cyber attack and feds are after John McAfee. This is where we are. Uh, that's about right. And then from Joe... Do attacks of this scale eventually draw the attention of agencies like the NSA, CIA, et cetera? So, yeah, I would think so. Obviously, the CIA doesn't do stuff in the U.S. We'll put that in air quotes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously the FBI will be involved. Um, and then um, whoever, whatever other government agency that they see fit to handle this. And that's another question, Joe, is um, where are these attacks originating from, right? Are they originating from overseas actors or are they in the U.S.? So I think all of that will will um, play in. But okay, so our guest is here. Let me see if I can get him up here on the big screen. Uh, there we go. Let me move him over here. Can you hear us, sir? Yes, I can. Thank you. All right. Well, good deal. Um, okay. So we have on Ian Palmer or Doctor Palmer. Um, and why don't you introduce yourself to our, our audience, and we'll get into why we have you on the show today. Um, I'm a uh, petroleum engineer, um, originally from Australia. I, I actually did a PhD in cosmic rays of all things and, uh, how they travel from the sun to the earth and, uh, came to the U S to work in Los Alamos, uh, the, uh, national laboratory in New Mexico, um, Fell in love with the Southwest, but couldn't stay there because I was a uh, I was an Australian citizen, and I wasn't quite willing to um, give up that citizenship at that. So then came to um, Tulsa, worked there for many years. Oral um, Roberts University was a fat on faculty there. Um, then joined Amoco, the oil production company, and um, and then uh, they were taken over by BP, and as part of that keep my job, I had to move to Houston. So I spent nine, 10 years in Houston. Um, and, and by this time, I've, I've, uh, I'm, I'm a petroleum engineer, studied fracking. Um, um, most of my career there, you know, 15 years or so. And then um, uh, retired uh, from corporate and um, uh, joined a consult, small consulting company called Higgs Palmer Technologies and uh, retired from there about five years ago. Before I retired, I started um, giving classes 
on uh, shale, shale, um, sh the shale gas revolution, which, in which included a lot about fracking. And I gradually got into the environmental side of this. And um, be, uh, 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 about that time, earthquakes uh, sprang up in Oklahoma. And um, uh, nobody knew where they were coming from, but it eventually showed that they were um, initiated by the oil and gas industry, which is strong in Oklahoma. And uh, so I kind of looked into that. And uh, then I thought I'd write a book. And so I started writing a book, uh, which is called The Shale Controversy. And while I was writing that, I thought, well, a big part of the uh, controversy is now climate change. And so I, um, I got pulled into that. I didn't know a lot about it, hadn't thought a lot about it while I was uh, working for oil and gas and fracking. Uh, but uh, all of a sudden, I realized that was gaining importance. And so... I, I, I looked into whether I believed it or not and decided that I did. And then I looked into the consequences for the oil and gas industry. And I discovered some very interesting things in there. A lot of, um, a lot of uh, um, uh, well, um, a, a lot of questions about the truth of the matter and still are. So I wanted to uh, become... Um, certain of that in my own mind. And so I added that to the book. So the second half of the book is about the shale controversy. Um, is it leading the world into success um, uh, or you know, kind of um, um, is, it, is it going to really damage the world? And so that's, that's it and in brief. Um, and the book is called The Shale Controversy. Okay, so um, we'll link to that. As, long, as well as your website, which is iandexterpalmer.com in the show notes. Okay, so energy independence, obviously, is a term that's been used. Um, I think it's a debatable term, um, um, depending on what you mean by independence. Um, of course, fracking has been a main driver in U.S. oil production. Uh, you, you said you've kind of studied this, um, Oklahoma, environmental impact. What's kind of your read on fracking, maybe the, some of the pros, maybe some of the, some of the cons? Make some stuff that generally should be added to the discussion that we're kind of omitting right now. Yes, um, the um, I, I, of course, fracking uh, is the key to the shale revolution, and I'll start with this because uh, uh, um, uh, the shale revolution's been a a, um, a wonderful thing for the USA. Um, and it's, it, it's really only been around for 20 years. It was discovered about the year 2000. Um, and the key technology, uh, there's always been gas in shale. Shale is the most common rock in the Earth's surface. Um, they've always known there's oil and gas there. Uh, the flowability or the permeability um, was so low that it wouldn't come out, okay, even with the kind of fracking techniques that they had back in the year 2000 they they just but they they discovered uh, particularly in the barnett shale which is our fort worth that um long horizontal wells and i mean by that one to two miles long uh, if fracked many times along their length and when i say many i mean up to 40 separate frack uh, operations along this horizontal well 
Basically, what fracking does, it cracks up the rock. It creates cracks like you see in the sidewalk or in the roadway. And, and um, once an oil or gas molecule gets into a crack, it can flow almost unimpeded to the horizontal well um, and then to the vertical well and up to the surface. So cracking up the rock, in this case shale rock, um, was the key because now molecules of oil and gas could flow to the well in commercial quantities. And, and so uh, it began in the Barnett Shale, which is a gas basin, and, um, uh, and, and uh, by 2009, it expanded to other basins too, but by 2009, people realized that oil price was higher than gas price. They could make more money producing oil than gas, and uh, and so they thought, well, we'll try the same technology. Uh, there's there's oil in lots of shales, so they tried the same technology, and bingo, it worked. And now all of a sudden, they can produce oil in commercial quantities. And so um, that started in about 2009. And and um, to to illustrate the success, I mean, I mean obviously this means. Um, uh, um, cheap oil for for uh, you know, our cars and cheap you know heating for our homes and cheap plastics that that are used in the home and the office um, and the car. Uh, but aside from this, um, we became self-sufficient because of be, entirely due to the shale revolution. The U.S. became self-sufficient. Uh, President Bush said we'll never get there. Uh, President Obama said we'll never become self-sufficient. Um, but the shale revolution enabled this. The, for the first time since 1947, the U.S. became self-sufficient. This, this, this is the goal of every country in the world because um, uh, a success, successful oil and gas industry gives lots of jobs, but it also lifts millions of people you know, in, into the middle class around the, around the world. So um, I, I, I did a quick calculation um, of the money saved since um, 2000 um, by not importing oil, and it came out to $2.3 trillion. So in that 20 years, um, the U.S. has saved $2,300 billion. I think that's what that converts to. And so it's a, it's a lot of billions of dollars. And if you divided that up in the states, that would be $4 billion each state, I think. So um, just to illustrate the, the savings in import-export. So we became self-sufficient, and so prices uh, stay low there. Now, uh, uh, going to the other side of it, um, uh, fracking is clearly confidential, um, um, uh, controversial, I mean. And... Um, one example is the amount of water that is used in these 40 separate fracking operations in a horizontal well that's two miles long. The answer is 20 million gallons, and that doesn't mean too much, but if you pour that water into a football stadium um, uh, so that it, was, it stayed on the grassed area of the stadium, the water level would rise 30 or 40 feet. That's how much water... And it, it used to have to be fresh water. That's changed a little bit just in the last few years. 
um, that's an awful lot of fresh water, and that's just one well. So if a decent company drills 100 wells, that's 100 stadiums with this much water. So it, it costs, okay, if you, if you buy city water, which they did from Fort Worth, that costs money, uh, but it also can drain aquifers. So if a rancher in a dry state like West Texas or New Mexico, where there's an awful lot of shale wells, um, finds that his, you know, he may find that his aquifer level is going down. And, um, and that's not in his best interest. And so, um, so, on, so, so one opinion by ranchers and people like that is, is that, hey, this is too much water to be used in a, in a high desert or a desert um, type country. On the other hand, in New Mexico, less than 1% of water usage, total water budget, is associated with um, drilling and fracking of oil wells. So uh, if you look at it from a distance, you say, well, less than 1%. Heck, you know, that's that's nothing. You know, agriculture in New Mexico uses 70% of the water, I think. Um, uh, in Pennsylvania, where you've got the famous Marcellus shale, um, which is a gas shale, um, with, that's the biggest gas shale in the USA, uh, again, it's less than 1% that's used on drilling and fracking. Most of it is, uh, I think, uh, um, nuclear industry and, and, you know, power places like that. Let me try to follow along here. Yes. What you're saying is, is that we have this uh, huge amount of water that the oil and gas industry uses, but comparatively speaking to uh, how the water usage in the state, it's still relatively small. Is that what you're yes. saying? Okay. Yes. Yes. I'm saying there's two different perspectives on it. Okay. And, and uh, that's part of the reason for um, the pros and cons. I mean, depends on where you're looking at it from, but that's exactly right. So another example is, uh, oh, oh uh, let me just add a caveat to that. And that is that nowadays, because of that, um, uh, that, that scenario, people have realized that they need to, they need to uh, clean up the water that's produced, okay? So a typical well produces oil or gas or both and water, okay? The water that comes up out of the well is, is called produced water, and, it's, and it's, it's very often 20 million gallons, the same as what you put in. May, maybe not the same water. It may have come out of the formation. But, but um, that, so, um, so there's, uh, so, so what do you, you know, so, so the, the simplest um, thing to do is to clean up this water. And so over the last five years, companies have been doing that. Okay, they, 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 are, they are able to clean it up by various evaporation, for example, is one. Um, um, uh, but they also realized that they could, uh, they add a few chemicals uh, to, present, uh, to, to prevent iron settling out uh, on the well. A scale is another one. And to stop, to stop the shale from swelling. So they have just a handful of chemicals. There's very few chemicals in there. Uh, they, they learned how to adapt these chemicals so that they would work in um, uh, 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 water that had been cleaned up. It didn't require totally fresh water. Okay, so, so that's the way the trend has been going, and there's been a lot of progress there. And so that, they're basically solving this problem. So the, the produced water that comes out, out of these wells along with the oil or gas is cleaned up and then they can use it to frack the next 
a series of wells, okay? But another problem, which has also been resolved, okay, is um, damage. Um, the old cherry that fracks were growing up into the aquifers and polluting the aquifers, okay? That, that's, that's still, you know, being used, and I'll explain that. In, in shale, which is, you know, the, I'll, I'll use that, talk about that for the moment, most of the shale wells go down 5,000 feet. Some of them go down 15,000 feet. So 5,000 feet is one mile, 15,000 feet is three miles. So they're deep wells, okay? Uh, they're much deeper than aquifers. Aquifers generally lie, the aquifers that people use to, to feed their cattle uh, and to even, you know, water their gardens and sometimes even to drink, are less than a thousand feet, less than a fifth of a mile. They've made the, the, the industry has made measurements that prove beyond any doubt that fracks do not grow up into the aquifers. Okay? They just don't. They've made measurements that show how, how far they grow up. They grow up a little ways, but nothing, never that high. Okay, so that clarifies that, but still occasionally uh, aquifers get polluted. And the reason for that is the well integrity. You've got a vertical well drilled down, and then that kicks off into a horizontal well. And, and, and that vertical well, um, the casing is set uh, in, in a rough hewn hole that's been drilled, kind of a jagged hole. Um, uh, and and uh, you have to seal, you, you cement the casing against the hole. So you pour cement down there and it comes up and it, it seals, uh, it's supposed to seal uh, all the way to the top so that um, if, it's not, if the seal is not complete, um, uh, um, if there are leaks in that cement, then gas can seep up there. Uh, frac fluid, less likely, but that can seep up there. And so gas can get in the water. This happened in the Marcellus Shale. There was a big row about this 10 years ago. Um, and, and that was the cause of it, okay? And uh, oil and gas companies now are much more, um, much more um, in communication about this. They're more transparent about it now. Um, uh, okay, if, if you've got water in the, gas in the aquifer, then uh, check out that cement seal. If that's leaking, fix it, okay? Redo the cement, whatever you have to do. Fix it and fix it quickly. And um, the press that have pointed this out over the years, um, uh, rightly so, have gotten a lot of attention and the companies, you know, have to respond quickly and say, we'll fix that problem, okay? So it's fairly rare that happens. They've done lots of studies that, that prove that it's fairly rare. But uh, if it happens, it needs to be addressed quickly. So that's another example of pros and cons. If you, if you know somebody that had a well that leaked like that and leaked into the aquifer, then you don't tend to forget it, <laughs> but it's fairly rare. Of course, it was the problem. I'm trying to remember the name of the big, um, the, the big um, rig down in the Gulf of Mexico that uh, blew out there. Um, Horizon or... Uh, yeah. Um, what the heck? Um, yeah. Anyway, I mean, 11 people died. I mean, that was a, it was a terrible tragedy. That apparently, there's a movie about it, of course. Uh, Deepwater It was due to um, um, uh, an, an imperfect cement seal 
and gas came up and, and eventually caught fire and, and that rig burned down basically. So, I mean, that, that's, that's at one extreme of it, but the, the little well, the little gas wells in the Marcellus are at the other end of it, but still, if you get gas in the water, that's a huge concern. So should never happen. Right. So one thing with the water that when you look at all the salt water that surrounds the earth, right? 66% or something like the earth is uh, salt water. One of the things I've wondered about that we might look back on the show revolution and say is, okay, we've had to figure out new techniques to deal with water, right? As you mentioned, initially we had to only use fresh water and now we're using um, uh, a little bit more, um, less, less fresh, a bit more brackish water, if you will. Uh, we've had to figure out how to handle produce water. Um, now that's not necessarily one-to-one -to, -one to, to get desalinization cheaper, but it probably helps that process. And so some of these things that we're doing, um, I think we'll further research in other areas uh, so that eventually we can probably you know, make desalinization cheaper or figure out how to clean brackish water for a cheaper space to turn it into potable water. What are your thoughts on that? My brother is a desalination expert in Australia, water engineer all his life, and uh, he's he's been involved in building plants. Australia is a very interesting case, and we may come back to that when we get in the climate change because I was there when the big close to when the big bushfires, the wildfires broke out. Um, my brother um, in Adelaide, South Australia, where I'm from, um, the drought lasted many years, and only towards the end of the drought, they decided to drill, uh, to, to build a desal plant, okay? And, and it worked fine, it worked great. But of course, the drought stopped as soon after they built it. So they, I think they use it for other purposes now. It's now, um, apparently, it's now, um, um, it's, it's, it's in the price range that it's definitely affordable. The Middle East has lots and lots of these. California has quite a few, and, and Australia has several desal plants too. Um, that is, is, of course, one option for, um, for um, um, the, the oil industry. Okay, it's the expensive end of the option compared with something like evaporation at the local well, well, well site. And so I don't think it's used very much, but uh, in the future, it may, you know, it may be used more. Um, I, I really don't have a prediction on that, but there are several different techniques that they use. And uh, some of them are like the, the membranes that are used in desalination. So yeah, there's some there's some cross uh, uh, pollination going on there, I think. But uh, that's uh, that's that's my thoughts on that. Okay, well, um, let's see here. So I know you want to talk about carbon capture and net zero emissions. Um, kind of what's what's the concern there from your standpoint, and how should the oil and gas industry uh, deal with this? Yeah. Um, this is a big question, and, and, and um, I'll start with with this point. Most of the goals of uh, uh, global warming, climate change, are um, are fixed on two thousand and fifty as kind of deadline date. Okay, and uh, the UN was behind that too. I think uh, the intergovernmental, you know, people to, um, people have realized, uh, um, people such as Daniel Jurgen, that 
the oil industry, he says it's an $87 trillion industry. You can't change that over within a decade. No possible way. BP has looked at this, my old company, as, as, as solidly as anybody. They say, um, and, and other companies agree, but that by 2050, we'll have uh, oil and gas will be 30 to 50 percent. Okay, I think it's 35 to 45 percent uh, oil and gas consumption by 2050. It's obviously not going away, but now it's come down a lot because now it's 80 percent. Okay, fossil fuels. So, um, um, so how can you get to um, zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050? The only way you can do that is by having uh, carbon capture and storage (CCS). Okay, and um, that's because if you can capture it and store it underground then that defines net zero. So net zero is a tricky little um, uh, phrase that means that um, by 2050, um, you are putting up into the atmosphere X billion, you know, billion metric tons per year, um, where you hope that X is like uh, just a few billion tons per year. Now it's 35 or 40, okay? So, uh, but you're not, uh, um, but you're not down at zero emissions, okay? That, that won't happen, okay? So you compensate by inject, by somehow storing, uh, capturing and storing underground's the best way. Uh, the, the greenhouse gases, the, the CO2 mainly. So that um, the same amount that you're storing is what's be still being released into the atmosphere, the leftover. It's the only possible way, okay? You're never going to get to zero emissions of greenhouse gases because by 2050. So um, carbon capture, the storage part, capturing is hard enough. I mean, uh, you can put special chemicals like amines, which are expensive in... Um, um, uh, power plants in the in the chimneys of power plants, and that can capture, you know, a, a, a goodly amount of the CO2 that, that's from burning coal. Okay, but um, um, but they're expensive, as I said. Um, uh, what's uh, what uh, an alternative? Well, 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 well that, that that's capturing it. Okay, now now Occidental, which are very proactive. Uh, oil company down in the Permian Basin in West Texas and New Mexico. They are uh, they're setting up, I think it's to be built this year, maybe next year, a direct air capture. They've got a bank of fans, huge fans in a huge wall of fans that pull the air in and, and in there they, they capture by probably a chemical means the CO2. And then these guys, Occidental, uh, uh, they know all about injecting CO2 underground. They've been doing that for years. And so they, 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 they do that. The chairman, Vicki Hollum, is an amazing woman, in my opinion. She says that they're, they're injecting more CO2. They're getting rid of more CO2 every year than, um, than uh, Elon, Elon Musk is with, with the new Tesla cars. And so that's pretty interesting. But they're, they're proactively really going at that. So, 
So back to the how they how do the second part of it is the storage. Okay, so basically you have two wells. You drill two wells. One um, into into uh, it can be an old oil field. Uh, it can be um, uh, an aquifer. It can be a shale. Okay, so you you drill one vertical well down. You inject the CO two down there, and then some you know some um, you know a couple of a kilometer away or something you have a. a um, a production well, and um, uh, uh, if, if if you're wanting to produce oil, then you can. I, I, I'm ahead of myself. Forget the production well. If you just want to store the carbon, um, you just inject it down the injection well, and it stays. It stays there. Uh, it, it there's very 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 low chance of it leaking out of that uh, where you're injecting it. That, that that's been shown over and over. Uh, and so it just stays there and stores there. Eventually, it joins with the lo- the rock. It kind of becomes a part of the rock, chemical reaction, and so stays there forever. What what the oil and gas people have done for decades, and this is key because they know how to do this. They they know exactly how to store CO two. They have an injection well and a production well, and so they inject the CO two in an old oil field. The CO two mixes with the oil. It kind of lubricates it. It softens it up. The oil flows uh, to the other side of the reservoir and is produced up the production well. And so you have you're making money, okay? And that's why the oil companies have been doing it. You're making money because you sell the oil, uh, but it's uh, but you're not storing all the CO2. Some of the CO2 is coming out, and so that's that. I, I kept thinking that's a big disadvantage until I found out that 40% of the CO2 stays down there. That's according to Vicky Hollow. So um, that's why she's 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 been saving a lot of uh, the greenhouse gases. So that's the that, that's the CCS. Can I add one other thing to that? Um, yeah, real quick, because we are getting up against our time here. So real quick. Okay, okay, this is pretty key. Okay, um, if you look at all the old oil fields in the USA, okay, they could take they could take they could inject into them all of the U.S. production, which is 6 billion um, uh, uh, tons per year, uh, they could take all of that amount um, if it was set up and uh, for 23 years. There's an enormous storage potential in the U.S., okay? So if, if they had to store only one half of that, they could do that for 46 years, etc. okay? So there's immense scope for this. Uh, unfortunately, it costs. If you if you just store it, okay, there's going to have to be carbon pricing or something to to you know from the government set up to to, to do that. Okay, well, we are as we said up against the clock here. The book is the Shell Controversy: Will the Shell Revolution Lead the World to Prosperity or Calamity? We will link to that in the show notes along with your website, which is indexterpalmer.com. Dr. Palmer, it was a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you so much for your insights and uh, look to get you on again in the future. Would love to. Thank you Thank for having you. me. Thanks, okay. Dan. All right, Mr. Shelton, what we got up here to round this out. All right. For the roundup, we have EOG embraces double premium drilling strategy. Um, take a look at it. It's uh, it's interesting. Some of the strategies they've been doing and so supposedly uh, on May 7th, they had a earnings report and uh, they were saying that they're getting some really good results from the, the strategy they've been employing. Uh, we also have 
Texas lawmakers brace for a war on the oil and gas sector. This is just looking at it from some legal things that Texas has been preparing for. And we have two more. One, I was going to mention this one. Um, capturing methane from oil and gas operations is doable and profitable. So this is an article from Forbes. If you're interested in stuff like this, it might be something uh, worth taking a look. And last but not least, Ryan, we actually may circle back to this one next week. Uh, our friend David Blackman, he uh, released an article, Texas Grid set to remain vulnerable to blackouts as legislative session winds down. So key little phrase here. Let me find it. Uh, let's see. It is right here. So here's what Texas citizens seem likely to get from this session. A bailout for the power generators who refused to winterize their plants after the grid failed during the 2011 freeze blackout event and a bailout for the electric providers who were forced to purchase power from the generators at exorbitant rates during the big freeze. The winterization will hopefully result as important for the eventual stabilization of the Texas grid. Go ahead, Ron. I said the big, the big freeze, big freeze. Okay. Well, Hey, before we go, two things, one, go click that, click that five-star button and just tell us, pour out your heart and soul on why you love us. Also, if you want to report Josh to the FBI hotline, we <laughs> do that. I am not a part of that. Uh, and, Share the podcast. Get the word out there. We'd appreciate it. And uh, Josh, I think that's it. We'll be back next week. I think we have on Jay Young. Jay Young. We'll be back on next week. And until then, I hope you have a, have a good week and keep climbing.